Hi, welcome to Squaring the Circle, a podcast about how business owners in the creative industry balance the art and the business. Marketing Yoda Lenny Wood has over 23,000 hours of marketing experience. In this episode, he shares his knowledge and wisdom on all things marketing for creative business owners. We have a brilliant chat about when you should be a generalist and when you need to niche down in your industry, taking your own advice as a business owner and a social media strategy that actually works. I'm your host, Benjamin Bowles from Benjamin Film and Photography, and welcome to Squaring the Circle. Marketing Yoda, Lenny Wood. How are you? That is me. I am fine. Yes, thank you very much. Um, good to be here and good to be referred to as a small green, uh, essentially child with a lightsaber. <laughs> You've probably been called a lot worse, I would think. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm going to take. I'm taking the Yoda one to heart. I like it. <laughs> um, so, thank you very much for for joining me today. We met um, at networking, actually, and we did. Uh, I was, I was, well, bowled over. We just before, just before coming on air, as they say, I was discussing about the 23,000 hours of marketing experience that you have, which is sort of part of your branding, which I bloody love. Um, and, uh, and we were also saying that that makes you a double master of marketing. That is correct. Yeah. So, so basically, the, the whole uh, 10,000 hours of uh, to become an expert. So that really sort of, I, I saw that and I, it really resonated with me. And I thought, what's a great way of, or a better way of demonstrating how much time you spent on a particular skill than breaking it down that way into hours. And, and with the sort of, you know, 10,000 hours being an expert, breaking it down to 23,000 hours, I realized that I was an expert 2.3 times over. So, and and it looks cool and and you know it's surprising how many people point out to me and say that you know it's a it's, it's a it's a great way of demonstrating um you know that you've been in a particular role with a particular skill set for a long time yeah absolutely um and that's why if nothing else lenny it's got you to squaring the circle so there we go that, that was it and that was when i first started out that was my actual um <laughs> That was my target. Even before the podcast even existed, that's exactly <laughs> what I was aiming for. Well, you've got here. You've got here. And welcome. There we go. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Um, the first question I want to ask you is whether creative business owners should find their niche or be more of a generalist. And I say generalist because I got the term off you. Um, yeah. One of the first uh, times we met, you mentioned that you were a marketing generalist. I thought that is genius. I love that because it accurately mm. describes what lots of us do in the creative industry. So, yeah, if you want to talk a bit about whether we should find our niche or be a generalist, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, I heard you. I heard you talking about it on the last episode, actually. So, um, so yeah, so that was cool to to, to hear mention that. And and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a difficult one. It's 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 one that I I'm constantly wrestling with. So. Yes, you you are right. It is quite a cool term, and it does cover the fact that I have multiple skills in the same discipline. But from my so from my, I'll tell you where it come from. So the generalist idea come from the fact that I've been in market. I've been in marketing for well twenty three thousand hours, as we've established, <laughs> uh, and at the uh, and and then most of that time has been sent spent as managerial level. So I've always been the manager of a team, and the team have the skills 
and so that's kind of how you operate in a kind of corporate environment um but i i always was incentivized to learn all of those skills because i find that if you don't know what your team do you don't know their skills and what they actually do on a day-to-day basis it's very hard to manage them obviously because you don't really you know necessarily fully understand what they're doing so learning all of that that means i picked up all those skills over uh that period of time sort of you know 15 16 years so i kind of left employment with a raft of different marketing disciplines and skills under my belt so my offering them from the beginning was always going to be a multifaceted agency that can plan and also deliver the strategy because you know different agencies do tend to concentrate on different aspects a lot of them do strategy some do planning some do you know they'll they'll some will do skills specifically seo or or you know like email marketing whatever whereas i could do a number of those things and it was sort of like a one-stop shop however from an seo point of view it's terrible absolutely terrible because marketing generalist is not a term that people will be a familiar with or b would type into google nobody's looking for a marketing generalist which means that you 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 then have the trouble of being found so that's not so much a that's not a been a massive problem for me because the way I approach my own marketing is I do an awful lot of personal marketing so I do the networks and I do uh, I'm very uh, you know consistent on LinkedIn and I do try and I do start lots of um, conversations on LinkedIn and, and and now a lot of my work does come from inbound LinkedIn inquiries um, you know um, and also from meeting people through networks so that's fine but I'm in a sort of period now where I want to uh, expand a little. So to do that, I need to reach the masses. And to reach the masses, the best way is to pick a niche. So what I've just told you there is that it's good to niche and be a generalist. Yeah, wow. So, that, is, so, that, is, um, that is some answer. That is some answer. Um, God, where'd you go from there? So what I've done there, actually, is not answer you at all. You've done that politician thing. You've just gone around the houses. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, exactly. So you've got both answers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What What is really interesting about what you just said, though, is that I suppose actually it comes down to the individual business owner's aims. Because if you want to, if you're satisfied with being self-employed, with paying the bills, you know, charging more potentially, getting your day rates up, and you don't want to go further than that, well, maybe then the generalist is the way to go because mm-hmm. a lot of your marketing, like you said, is going to be personal. Mm-hmm. If, however, you want to take an, an, the next level up, that's weirdly mm-hmm. when you need to niche down and focus on a smaller audience, which seems uh, counterintuitive, doesn't it? Yeah, it's completely backwards. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never thought so, of it like that. Yeah. So like now what I'm doing is I'm beginning to build, you know, specific lead magnets, landing pages, and I'm even considering doing entire websites with different brands for each part of the business. So like, you know, having an actual website for logo design so that I can actually, you know, really smash the SEO and start attracting people that are looking for that one particular thing. Now, obviously, uh, what I'm trying to, con- what I'm focusing on then is that I'm focusing on niching on services rather than niching on industries. 
which obviously is another consideration. So a lot of people might niche for an industry. So a guy, a guy that I met recently, he niches um, uh, in marketing, but for the food and drink industry. That's it. That's his niche. So he does, he does number, he does a number of marketing services, but only for one industry. So he is super niched. Whereas I want to be able to work with any industry, but I need to niche my service. Right. Okay. Okay. So that so makes the, it a lot easier for people to find me than for one thing, one particular thing they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Blimey. Um, that's, that's a lot of food for thought. We're only about five minutes mm. in, but um, yeah. <laughs> that's, but that's that's really interesting. But so, and I don't know how much work you've done with people in the creative industry and i would actually class you as a and i don't mm. like the word creative but it's the easiest way to sort of yeah it. yeah because you do do your own content and you're incredible at social media you do your own videos so you you have a sort of a foot in both camps to a certain yeah. extent mm -hmm. but why do you think generally creative business owners find it difficult marketing or difficult selling themselves um, I think it's like the, for me, this is just my kind of, you know, thought process is that I think creative minds are at, like, it's the left brain, right brain thing, I think. So like, you know, creative brains are focused on being creative and, cre and, 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 you know, creating things from thin air, basically, you know, are you taking ideas and concepts and making something that didn't exist previously? Uh, whereas the other side of the brain, the non-creative side, is the more business-orientated side, you know, the numbers and the, and really, I guess, the marketing, you know, because marketing is data-driven in, in the majority. Um, and I don't know, I think maybe there's a, there's a kind of um, conflict between the two sides. Um, and so it's very hard to straddle from one to the other. So, and, and niching is re really, when you're niching down, you are that's that's a business decision and that's a, a business that you need the business brain for that and that that's the way you know that's because i i'm i kind of got a bit in both camps then then I, I it's hard for me to understand it fully from a creative but i that's what i would suggest is that maybe it's quite it's difficult to switch off being creative and then switch on well what do i need to what business decisions do i need to make yeah that flip-flop is it really is a very different mode of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and it's very difficult, I'll say on a daily basis to switch, you know, if you're doing a, <clears throat> if you're doing a creative project in the morning and mm. then you have some lunch and then in the afternoon, you're doing admin and you're doing your accounts mm. or you're doing your yeah. business plan or anything like that. It's, it really is a um, huge, huge contrast in terms of your thinking and, and how you go about things so yeah, yeah. That, that 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 does make sense i mean there is there is i mean we've spoken about all the positives so far of niching down but obviously there is a negative which is um the whole plenty more fish in the sea type analogy which is that if you do niche down then you limit your uh opportunity as well so so there is always that consideration as well absolutely yeah when you're speaking with clients mm-hmm um, and they say, Mr. Mr. Lenny Wood, the Yoda of marketing, we've got this problem. Yeah. Um, and you're looking at the business and you're, and it's so clear to you what this mm -hmm. business needs to do. It's really, really mm -hmm. clear. How easy is it for you to take your own advice when looking at your own business? 
Uh, impossible. <laughs> Honestly, in fact, it's the best policy. In, in fact, and in fact, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, and especially not on a podcast, but I very often don't take my own advice. <laughs> which, which, and there is there is a time factor involved in that, which is that the right course of action does take time and effort, and you know, and which I don't always have for myself. You know, as they say, um, you know, a uh, uh, painter and decorator's house is usually the last thing to get done, you know, because they're always working for other people. So, yes, there is, you know, like I know best practice for all of the disciplines that I will advise people on. Um, but but no, I, I don't always, <laughs> I don't always deploy it myself. But then I suppose to a certain extent proof is in the pudding isn't it because if you've got people coming to you and you say well i'm very busy i can fit you in in two weeks well by definition your marketing you must be doing something right um if you're quite busy with with commercial work or project work yeah absolutely yeah yeah so you know you're on the right track if you've got a steady stream of clients and everybody's happy which well i'm pleased to say is the case right now uh, we'll do another podcast in a year and we'll see how that's uh, see how that's going but right now it's uh, it's all good but uh, it's that time thing again, which is that, you know, the more successful you become, I think, in the business, then the more, or sorry, the less time that you do have to spend on your own endeavours, i.e. your website or your LinkedIn or, or whatever, you know, whatever your approach is. Um, but, you know, I'm happy with that. I think that works. That works for me. You know, I look at my website and I think, yeah, it's functional and it does what it's supposed to do. But there are things I'd like to improve on it. But, you know, it doesn't, I don't beat myself up over it because the actual business part of, uh, of of what I'm doing is working quite nicely. So with the skill sets or the big difference in skill sets of the creative mm. and the business, have yeah. you have you got any strategies or have you used any strategies that has helped close that distance? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could, so from my point of view, like uh, because the way my company's set up, um, which is that I don't have any contracts. So we just do a month. Um, it's just a month rolling contract. It's not really even a contract. It's just a month roll, a monthly rolling agreement. Um, and what I've done in a lot, a lot of uh, cases, and especially with something like we'll use we'll use email marketing because that's actually got like a you know a data element to it and a reporting element, numbers, etc. But also you need to be creative and be able to construct a campaign and um you know uh, make the emails look nice etc so that's that's uh a, t um, a skill that brings the two aspects together um now often what i'll do is we'll we'll with a new uh, company we'll run a campaign and it might get to the point where actually we've run it it works quite well and then the then the uh, client understands how it works and then they might just go and run with it themselves yeah so what what I've done there is I've I've got my project, got my job, been paid, delivered a campaign, but then they've gone and decided that we we get it now and they've gone and roll with it. So what what's happened there is we've managed to put the two pieces together. So it might have been that they came to me not because they didn't know what to do at all, but because they might have had the creative skills but not the data skills, or vice versa. They might have had the you know the people that are good with spreadsheets and numbers and reporting but nobody in the company was creative so i can bridge the gap like that and bring the two together 
and that feeds into the very top of the conversation why mm -hmm. sometimes it's good to be a generalist because you do, yeah 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 you can, you can you can take a client um and with your skill set you can say yeah we can do that we can do that have you thought of this um mm -hmm. and they feel very or probably very comforted by that which is um well what i'm hoping to what i'm hoping is going to come out of this new idea of mine of niching into one skill and then picking up a bunch of people that were looking for that one solution what i'm hoping is is that i will find those people deliver what they ask for and then the conversation might be what else do you do you know yeah. that's what i'm hoping and then the generalist element comes into its own because they've found you because you design a logo or you do email or you build a website or whatever but and I found I have found this on some previous conversations is that when you start scratching the surface, they really need several things. Um, so that's what I'm hoping is that if I niche down, that will give me new avenues of leads, which will then hopefully develop into um, more more work, basically. Fair enough. That's as yeah. um, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah, I still don't think I've answered your question, but um, we, we've, uh, we've, uh, we've 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 talked. We've definitely covered. Uh, you know, we've talked around both aspects. That's for sure. <laughs> Punningly around the subject. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. You mentioned LinkedIn a few minutes ago, and and mm -hmm. you, the fact you're getting leads through there, and you're very yep. conversational on LinkedIn, which yep. which lends itself to the trend. Is it a trend? Possibly. Um, I'll say it's a trend. Hmm. of not essentially selling your services but guiding people um, yep. and giving people information essentially um, mm -hmm. and through that it builds awareness and it also shows that you're legitimate in your in your industry mm -hmm. now creative business owners they could be incredible at producing work mm -hmm. getting leads you know the getting leads the business side of things, the marketing side of things is very, very mm -hmm. difficult. You seem yeah. to have hit a really nice, um, you you seem to be hitting a really nice rhythm, actually, with your social media marketing. Mm -hmm. Would you advise that that's the way to go rather than, you know, the hard sell or, or, email or cold emails or cold calling? So in a really roundabout kind of way, what would you advise creatives to do on the marketing side? Yeah, so like 100% what's been a success for me is uh, giving without expecting anything in return. Like okay. that's the that's the rule of thumb, yeah? So everything you do needs to come from a place of giving and providing value, yeah? So that's my rule of thumb for any platform. Uh, works well for every approach. But what has worked for me, and I'm giving away my secrets here, but it doesn't matter, it's all good, so everyone can utilise it, is that my is my process of bringing people into my network so when i left my previous employer i realized that most of my connections were for the benefit of that company and not me so i got rid so basically i had a moment where i just got rid of all the deadwood and just blew up my connections list and then start started to rebuild it now the way that i the thing that i've hit on as to being a really great way to go is to uh, attend networking so, so find some networking events, find some good groups, 
Uh, smaller groups I find are better than larger groups because I think that um, if you can find a small group with up to maybe 15, 20 people in a group, you get to meet everybody, you get familiar with everybody, you can deliver your message and that's that's great. Whereas with the bigger groups where you get 50 or 100 people, it goes into side rooms, you don't get to see, you don't get to meet everybody and then even if you go every week, you may never get to meet everybody because of the randomness of it. So yeah, small groups, get to know the people and then once um uh, what uh, the way you get to know them is just basically don't sell so don't jump into you know a networking meeting and then start selling your services yeah jump in and ask people if they have any problems that they need solving that your skill set might be able to help them with um then once you've once you've established yourself in those groups you can then oh well i then invite them to connect with me on linkedin um using the fact that we've already met before at the at the at the networking um and then um what i do is i again i'm not asking to sell them anything i just invite them and just say it would be great to be a connection as we've already met before and then um i like to help people on linkedin so what i do is when they when they join my connections i then help their posts by just keeping an eye out for content that they post and then i'll like and comment on on them as i see them and then uh, build the relationship and try and get them to reciprocate. Yeah, now that builds up a network of engaged people rather than just a thousand connections, uh, 800 of which you couldn't even message to ask them for a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? It's uh, so, so I got, a, so I have a smaller group of connections, but everybody's very engaged, right? So now the, the good thing about that is that now that really helps my performance on LinkedIn. Now, obviously, um, anyone who hasn't met Mike Roberts um, definitely should because he put me on the right track on how to craft uh, high performing posts. But a big element of it is you have to have a good engaged network of people, you know, that you can help each other. So by doing that consistently, and I mean, I have been doing it for about a year and a half, two posts a week, never miss one, always the same time always you know always get people engaged what that's led to is twofold one it's led to people finding me who have never met me which is fantastic um it's also led to people connecting with me out of the blue and then using me as a service so the inbound leads but the big one that always that always pays back is that people know because the people in your network know you and i mean really know you when they're having their conversations about something completely unrelated and somebody says to them, well, you know what, we really need to get our logo redesigned. We really need to do an email marketing campaign or our website's terrible or blah, blah, blah. That person is your, then your ambassador for your company. And they go, Oh, I know someone. And the amount of people who I've been referred back like that is, is mind blowing. That's, um, that's fascinating actually, because I always think that, and this is the, the myth of, of social media to a certain extent, isn't it? Because yeah. I think if you're doing social media well, mm. um, I think I've said on a previous podcast, and it relates to a lot of things in business, you can mm. be swimming along nicely on the surface and your legs are just going 10 to the dozen. Oh, yeah, massively, yeah. Um, and But I think what you've done really well is be, well, one thing consistent, and mm -hmm. you're using social media, firstly, socially, but as an extension of your face-to-face -face or, or networking meetings, basically. 
Mm. I think yeah, that's exactly, yeah. so it comes down to quality over quantity, doesn't it? You you could have 500 yes. connections on LinkedIn, but that means a lot more than 55,000 that you don't know, essentially. Yeah, and I think it, it bears out as well as the fact that I, I don't know exactly right now how many followers or connections I have. It's something like in the high 200s, I think, no, nearly 300 maybe, which is a tiny fraction of what most people have. You know, most people have, you see, you only see 500 plus, but I know a lot of people have multiple thousands. But the thing is, is that my posts will gain, you know, number of, I know views is just, it's not the ultimate statistic, but it is a way of gauging how many people are seeing what you're putting out there um and you know the average number of views i'll get for any post will be somewhere between five thousand and twenty thousand and in some and, and then occasionally one will take off and get seventy thousand so so and that's based around just you know two three hundred well engaged people yeah there, so, um, there's there's a big lesson there isn't there yeah exactly and it, it, it as you say i think and i don't you know none of us really know what the algorithm is for sure because that's part of the game but um but quantity uh, quality over quantity is is 100 percent. I, I can i can almost guarantee that that is the the right uh thing to do yeah leading on from that how how important or how disabling is perfectionism in creative work oh well yeah i mean it can be crippling because okay. yeah it can be because um if somebody is see so from my point this is just my opinion but like i'm sure you've come across this as well is that whenever you talk to a new client a creative client and they've got sorry you're the creative but they're not yeah and then they've got an idea in their head of exactly what it should look like that they are unable to communicate it via words or via sketches or by any way, way, shape or form, that can be a bit of a red flag because you can end up with a lot of revisions to mm. try and edge towards that picture of perfection in somebody else's head that you can't see and they can't tell you what it is. So if you do get people like that, then yes, it can be... Um, a, a bit of a issue um however um i think there are ways around there are ways to curtail that a little bit um and you know putting in a, a you know a maximum number of revisions and things like that does does help to get to a result a bit quicker um the clients that i would always prefer to work with are the ones that value your skills and your experience and although they're involved in the process ultimately they are happy to um you know bend to your experience and and you'll get to a point where they're still a little bit unsure but they'll say look we trust you 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 know this is what you do for a living you make the final decision on xyz and that's what we'll go with they're, they're like the dream clients the ones that will understand that they're not a creative and they're not skilled at it and they'll just hand the responsibility over to you to to deliver you know something good i always find that if you have those clients where it's sort of in their mind's eye but they as you say they can't describe it mm. i always think that sending reference videos through or reference photos through is a really good way around that because yes that they essentially do some of the heavy lifting um yeah and then, yeah 
at least you've got a ballpark. At least when you mm. at least when you send over V one and they say, "Oh my word, this is this is not what we had in mind at all." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I do use a mood board in logos, yeah. um, so, so that I try to listen to exactly what they've t- you know every minute detail. Then immerse yourself in their company to get an idea of you know their tone of voice and their values and all the you know all the important stuff and then try to draft up a mood board before any designing actually takes place and then again you can usually catch any obvious things that are wrong early because if you present that mood board and they just go no <laughs> then at least you haven't started any work yet yeah <laughs> but when you're when you're doing work and you we were having a, a chat off air and you know you're you're very busy at the moment which is amazing mm. <clears throat> um when you are busy and yep. you've got deadlines stacking up mm-hmm. going back to the perfectionism you know if you're quiet you can really give a huge amount of time and effort onto a project but you know what mm-hmm. it's like if you've got deadlines to meet yeah and you need to get this version over yeah and I'm, and I'm certainly not saying you'd ever send anything through because that, you know. Just to hit a deadline. Yeah, exactly. You know, yep. no one wants to send through that will do work at all. Yeah. But again, coming back to balance, how difficult is balancing that between potentially sending through B plus work rather than mm, mm. A star work? Well, it's really, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, it can be very challenging. But again, this is the other side of the brain at work now. So the other side of the brain should kick in to say, well, you've got a, shed, you've got a schedule and these, you know, you've got clients and you've got responsibilities and you've got time blocked out already. Um, so, hope, you know, fingers crossed, you don't ever come up with that kind of uh, situation. But it does happen because some people do come up with very late requirements. And that's usually when it happens. If somebody has forgotten something their end and they're like, oh, could you fit it in? And then it really starts to mess with the schedule. Um, I mean, at that point in time, there's only two routes, uh, one or three routes, actually. One is to say no, which I don't really like saying no the other one is to work overtime obviously you know a self-induced overtime to get something done for somebody so you know maybe an maybe an evening or an early morning or a weekend or whatever it is to get it done which is my preferred route uh, or class a drugs um, and really that's 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 all there is <laughs> i mean i mean I'm, beyond I'm that there are no other options i'm glad you i'm glad when mentioning overtime, you said, and that's my preferred route before saying class A drugs. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd always put overtime first because class A drugs are expensive. <laughs> yeah, it'll cut it's into, just count, counterproductive. It will cut into your day rate, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. Well, that is, a, I think, a perfect segue to go into the final two questions. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and with that in mind, for your um, chosen profession, Mm-hmm. What book has had the biggest impact on you? So the book for me, and this is this is from a while back, actually, and I'll give you a little bit of background without, <clears throat> without sending the listeners to sleep. Uh, so the book was uh, No Excuses by Brian Tracy. So that was, I've, I've, I've posted about this before on LinkedIn because it is kind of like a transformational book. So certainly for me, and I think for anyone who reads it, it would be too. So basically like 10 years ago, 
Um, my situation was that I was an employee, you know, um, like most people, um, and I just got married, and we were we were still renting um, at the time. Um, the job that I worked at was not that fulfilling, and it was also like an hour and a half each way um, commute in the car, which is not great. Um, I personally was significantly overweight at the time as well. And because of that, I was stupidly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So not a great, you know, apart from getting married, that was good, just in case my wife's listening. Um, <laughs> other than that, everything else, not so great. So I would, so I would describe that as a bit of a rut. You know, so um, I can't remember how I discovered the book, really. I mean, I do like reading nonfiction, but I just come across this one by pure accident, I think. Um, and then really the book is principally about um, self-discipline, which, as you've just heard my description of myself at the time, I didn't have much of that at the time. So so basically, I just I read the book and I read it in one sitting because it was great. Um, and it introduced me to all kinds of different um uh terminology like mindstorming and law of three and tango exercises and all that kind of stuff and and what it provided was it provided clarity purpose and a direction um with clear goals to follow so after that so i read the book i put it i put all of the things into place and followed the, the you know all of the targets and everything like that and then 10 years later i'd lost seven stone i'd reversed my diabetes um, I, I become immersed in nutrition, um, became a vegetarian. Uh, I changed jobs, then became a business owner. That was you know, partly because of the pandemic, but still a great outcome. Uh, bought a house, began investing, and just just a more ha much happier person. And 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 I can attribute all of it to that book. Wow. Okay. So that's a pretty big impact. <laughs> yeah massive absolutely yeah. massive yeah Tra transformative i believe would be the modern word for it yeah um in a in an earlier podcast i spoke to martin whiskin and um, mm -hmm. mentioned his book was brian tracy again uh, but that was uh, eat um eat more frogs or something uh oh yeah eat the frog yeah eat uh yeah it was eat the yeah. frog yeah yeah um so it's a second second recommendation for brian tracy's work Yes, absolutely. And I, I, that is a great book as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because procrastination was one of my superpowers once upon a time. But um, <laughs> I've, I, I have conquered that particular problem. Um, uh, yeah, probably I could attribute it to mostly to that book as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Great stuff. I think it's just his writing style. I think it's very, you know, it's very conversational and it's very down to earth and everything is an actionable thing. It's not like a concept. You know, you get lots of books that are concepts. But this is very much write a list and do it, you know, and if you do it, then this will happen. So that's, you know, taking action is the most, uh, you know, powerful thing you can do. So. so before we go on to the last question, Lenny, if you just want to give yourself a quick plug in terms of social media or your website where people can find a bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my website is www.marketingoutsource.co.uk. Uh, um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I mean, just search for my name, but it's, it's linkedin.com forward slash Lenny Wood, but you, you'll be able to find me. It's not many Lenny Woods around, so that's all good. Um, uh, you'll really, you'll probably only find me on LinkedIn because I'm not really that up on Facebook or, or Instagram or anything like that. So LinkedIn's the best place to, uh, to find me. Brilliant. Thank you. 
All right, last question. And thank you so much for spending your Friday afternoon with me. It's been, um, I don't know about anybody else, but it's been amazing getting your insights and you've brought huge value to the conversation. So thank you for that. Oh, cheers. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, but yeah, the last question is in one sentence, what one piece of advice would you give a person starting? Um, I'm going to say in the creative industry, because that's what the podcast mm -hmm. is aimed at. Yeah, sure. Well, I've got I've actually gone a little bit further and I've got four pieces of advice. And I think these are all like anybody could. They, these, these are significant for anybody. So I, I don't think these are particularly for creatives or non-creative. This is just what I've experienced in the last year and a half and what I would do to get going, basically. So the, fir the first one is uh, build up some savings. So if you've got an eye on you want to start a business, um, my, rec my, my main recommendation would be is to, whilst you're still in employment, is to build up a bit of a buffer just because it doesn't happen instantly. You don't start work on a Monday and by Friday you've got your salary back. It's, it's quite a long process. And I saved up a certain amount of money and I used half of it before I could stop using it, if you see what I mean. So, and without it, I don't, it would be very difficult to make it. Um, and I know there's a statistic that like 99% of all small businesses fail in the first year or something, some, some crazy statistic. And, and I could imagine that that is why, because cash flow, basically. So that'd be the main one main thing to do with money. Um, now, the second one, and this is kind of a, a bit of a callback to the Brian Tracy uh, book, which is set yourself actionable goals. Yeah. So saying, just saying, I'd like to make £3,000 a month is not going to make you £3,000 a month. So you need, you need a target, but you need the step-by-step -step plan of how to get there. So for example, I want to make £3,000 a month, right? That's the statement. So what service are you selling? How much are you charging for it? How many of these things that you're selling, skills or products, do you need to sell less tax and expenses to make £3,000 a month? Now you know how many clients you need, how many leads do you need? What's your conversion rate of leads to customers? And then what, you know, then how are you going to find them? So all of these things can be written down in a list and you can literally tick them off one at a time as you do them. And, you know, having an A to Z like that means that you're much more likely to succeed. So that's my 1.2. My 1.3 is basically just get started. So stop thinking about it and just do something. Yeah, because I and because I was a master procrastinator, I can speak from experience that I probably spent eight years thinking about it until I actually did it. So stop, you know, stop thinking, start doing. Don't worry about failing. Um, literally everybody fails at everything at some point. So if you fail, just learn from your mistakes and just carry on. Uh, even if you're employed, make your business that you want to own your side hustle. Work on it in evenings, lunch breaks, weekends until your salary job becomes your side hustle and you can kick it into touch. So you will, you know, if you do have, if you can't save the money and you do need to continue to work, then it has to start as a side hustle, which means you do have to sacrifice certain things, you know. Uh, and then also if you spend all your time planning and not executing, you'll never get it off the ground, you know. Pretty, pretty basic stuff there and then my final 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 thing is conquer your self-doubt and this is one that was very difficult to get my head around which is to stop worrying about what other people may or may not think about you and your work that you produce 
also um this is one i've learned very recently which is to be authentic and stay true to yourself because any messaging that you put out there that is from the heart and what you know who you are rather than trying to copy who somebody else is will resonate with people 100 percent better than copying basically and then uh defeat the imposter syndrome which i'm sure people have heard about which is the nagging feeling that you're not as good as other people perceive you to be which is not true you, you are as good as anybody else and that's a real goblin that you need to kick into touch because you know people I, I know people that have been in business 10 20 years that still get that so and that that sort of thing will hold you back and that ladies and gents is 23,000 hours of marketing experience in you know about two minutes so that that, that is go. why he's paid the big bucks that's it why about that? that's it that's why i use the force <laughs> beautifully done beautifully done um lenny it's been an absolute pleasure um i've learned a huge amount just with our conversation so hopefully everybody tuning in will um, have done that lots of food for thought there um thank you so much for joining me on this episode of squaring the circle great stuff thanks mate it's been brilliant thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast if you've hated it keep quiet but if you've loved it you can support the show by sharing it with anyone who may love it too have a nice one and i'll see you next time for another episode of squaring the circle